Hello and welcome to your review for the 17th of January 2023. We're back with a vengeance. We've got a lot to talk about. I'm your host, Graham McKay, and I'm joined with a mug of something warm. Christian Wolf, how are you, Christian? I'm good. Obviously, I'm, I plan to take my top off because this is my last podcast before I fly out to Yoraba Red Diamonds podcast in Japan. So... Have you? Have, has anyone approached you as as a Celtic expert to talk all things GG? Um, not yet. I, I don't know why people don't want my opinion on GG because it's uh, completely unbiased, objective, and uh, it gives the full picture of the man. So uh, yeah, as a stats man, you need to be unbiased, Christian. Yes. Be- before it. we get to that, let's have some bants. Let's have a bant section. How was your yes. How was your weekend? My weekend was um, very good. Thank you very much. I, I went, I don't know if you heard about this. There was a game uh Hampton on Saturday uh, between the Celtic FC, Kilmarnock FC. So I, I went to that one. So yeah, I had a day out in Glasgow. I don't get many days. The big right? smoke. <laughs> yes. Um, met and uh, ran into some strange characters, obviously. Um, Stephen Russell uh, was up from Watchdale, still here. I think he's popping around tomorrow, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, this is Stephen. And uh, so we had to obviously meet myself. Uh, and Dave, Dave Flanagan had to. Uh, Stephen's first like uh, game at Hampton. So, so we took him, obviously, to Shawlands first so he can walk up. Mm-hmm. And what a lovely walk it was in, in, in the pissing rain and uh, wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, walking in the middle of Camargo support uh, with a slight sectarian tinge. Uh, to, to their songbook, uh, you can say so. It, it got the true Glasgow experience, uh, really. But yeah, no, it was. It's, uh, it was. Um, I was going to say, apart from the game, the, the game was, was was fun in parts as well. And um, no, it was, it was really good. I saw a message from Dave asking what the name of the last pub was. Is that because he had never been before, or was that because he was wrecked? It was actually, I think it was actually a mail from uh, from Aaron Conley, who also played. Uh-huh. Uh, and and for you, uh, pub, uh, I've, I've seen that. Uh, it's, it's, you know, the, you know, Southside pub scene, obviously, the, the Rose Riley, which you know, so I, I think must be the only pub named after uh, a Scottish woman footballer, obviously, uh, D Rose Riley, who won the World Cup at Italy. Um, I think it was in the eighties. So I, on, on the train home, I was, I was sending Paul Collin an Instagram, uh, message. He was just talking about the, uh, the night. And it's, it's said we've been in the Rose Friday. And he says, you know, apparently I didn't even know this. Governor Hill's the hottest new establishment. And I was there all night and I, I've, I've never felt so hipster in all my life. And, and Paul Collin validated my pop choice in, uh, in the South Side. So. I mean, you come here for the entertainment, but it's not often you get educated like that as well. No, so, so that's really not. Yeah. Um, my, my weekend was fine. Thanks for asking. Yeah, how, uh, how was your weekend for you? No, no, Other you never doing the react- Well, you didn't really give me a chance. Yeah, yeah. So you could have you could have few hundred. My, my well, weekend. No, so, was- so I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to bring you up here because this is what you do. You like to ask the questions, and then you get offended if somebody else doesn't ask you the questions. 
It's, 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 it's a wee joke I have with my students because uh, I ask them about their weekend and then I do, well, thanks for asking me, and then they get all offended <laughs> and think I'm being serious and then they get all German about it. So yeah, I was going to say, you know they're German. You can't do that to them. Yeah, yeah, they get mortified, which is which is fine. I think I think they're they're older. So we have a few yes, things to talk 20 about. Twenty years to go. I think. Okay. <laughs> we, we've got a lot to talk about tonight, so let's get get into it. We kind of breaking today as it seems that uh, Gigi is definitely on his way. It, it seems he's going to be going to Japan the last minute before we started recording from Mark Henry on Twitter. It looks as if Sampdoria are still not giving up. They have had a bid not back. So I'm assuming it's a bid of less than 3.2 million, which is the rumoured one coming from Japan. This has mortified yes. a lot of um, Celtic fans, Celtic Twitter. They, they feel as if this is a fee that's far too low. Um, I must admit, I didn't expect it to be this low. I was expecting maybe five million. Um, Three point two, if that's what it's to be, does seem quite low. We are going to be getting a profit on him. We're going to be making a profit on him. He is twenty nine this year. And away from my my opinion, which I've expressed several times now that I don't need to go into again. Away from your personal opinion, or you've, you've on, called him. I'm pretty sure you've called him uh, a spooked donkey. So let's just put on the record what your opinion was. So. Never, never said anything like that. No, but okay. away, away from that, let's get into the kind of the, the numbers behind it. Twenty nine this year, he has underperformed his XG while at Celtic. Yeah, I think it's well, fair to say that. That that oh okay. Don't insult me with that. Like it doesn't matter if he's underperformed his XG. If his XG is high, which it is, that's really all that matters. Have you? Does, I don't think you listen to me. At this podcast, just I'm um, trying to wind you up. I'm just trying to wind you up. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's underperformed his goals per game. I know you like per game stats as well. No, I don't. No. I hate per game stats. <laughs> you don't even know where. Like per ninety stats. I know. Per I know, ninety. I know. Come on. What do you think I am here? This is very German on me. I'm sorry. But let's let's get into the the kind of meat and potatoes of it. Is do you think it's a low fee for him as well, based solely on? The facts we know about Giacomacus, someone looking at it from the outside, do you think it's a low fee for someone of the profile of Giacomacus? No, not at all. I think you could probably get a bit more if you're lucky in the market. I think you could not get that offer as well. This is a striker who 18 months ago was, um, hold on to your hats, 18 months younger. And wow. he, I know, and he was the top scorer in the Eredivisie. And he went for less than that on the last day of the window. So while he's kept up his goal scoring right in, in, in the premiership, while he's got a Champions League goal, while he's got into the Greek team, I I don't really think it's surprising that he goes for a bit more 18 months down the line because whereas we... You know, uh, uh, that's not to diminish what he's done at Celtic. It's not me saying he's, you know, he's, you know, of course he's not going from work because he's, he's not very good. That's, that's not what I'm saying. He had a value 18 months ago. I think there's a lot in place that should have gone the right way for that value to increase. And it has, and it, that shows that, you know, what he has done for Celtic, what he's put into it for Celtic. But with his age, with his, 
to most, the league he's playing in, his track record before this, the type of striker he is, I don't think it's a bad deal at all. I, I just, that's, if the market would have valued him higher, it would have uh, had higher offers for him. It's, it's really as simple as that, I think. You know, and, and that's, you know, unfortunately that is, you can think that's too low or, or not, but it, it, it is, it's perfectly understandable that his value has risen by 50% over the last 18 months, but, but all those other things playing into it. Yeah, if, I mean, you could get more for him. Like, I think, you know, 5 million isn't unrealistic, but I said, you know, we've talked about some Doria there. You know, if, if they're not willing to play pay 3.2, you know, maybe they, yeah, well, they'll be offering less. So I, I don't think it's, you could maybe hold out and you can maybe hold out a few more weeks, maybe another million get added to that. But it is roughly what you'd expect, yeah. There's a, there was an experiment, I think it was in the book Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow, uh, which won the Nobel Prize, or won the author's Nobel Prize for Behavioural Economics. And in it, there was an experiment about a university lecturer sold mugs to, to their students. And just say, I can't remember the sums, just say they sold the mugs to the students for $5. And then at the end of the semester, when the, the students had been using the mugs, every day for their coffee or whatever, the lecturer went to them and said, I'm going to buy the, student, the mugs back now for for $5 each. And uh, the the thing that they realised here was that the students were not willing to part with these mugs for $5, despite it being the value of the mug. Is, it, is there a case to say that not only do the Celtic fans hold them in a kind of irrational value, but also a player like Giacomacus is maybe worth more to Celtic being able to come on and score these goals than he's worth to other cl- other teams putting a value on him. What I mean is his goals more worth more to us than 3.2 million is worth to us. I, I don't think it's irrational for us. I think it's emotional, which is... It's usually think, anti-rational, they say, when it's emotional. So we'll say anti-rational. <laughs> emotional just sounded not polite. So, so, and that's fine. Like, you form an emotional relationship with the place of the team you support. And that's, and, and I think the mug analogy is, works. Um, Christian Carl is GG a mug. He had it here first. Because it's the same value as to say, but you, you've, you've had it with you. You would, you appreciate that cup of coffee every day. And it, it's, you, you, you've worn bond to the coffee. I mean, I'm not even joking. You do. So something, if you've had a cup of your work for two, three years and somebody said, I'll buy off you for, Twice as much as you pay for it, you know you're not going to do that. But if if you wanted to see if that mug wanted to go somewhere else, um, somebody else not going to pay all the odds for it. And I think it's it's it, it does kind of work like that. And I think, but I think the other point's a good one in terms of he might have. And I guess this comes back to if you can't get a x amount of money for him, is what GG or any other player what they give to Celtic at this point. Is it worth more than that? Which I think is an entirely fair question because I think for us, Gigi have a specific role. I said, when I say us, I, I probably mean us too. Um, that we're more than happy to see him, you know, being a sub off the bench and coming in in a certain type of a game because he has shown that he can be effective at that. And even, you know, this barren streak of goal scoring 
that's been going on and it got ended on Saturday. It's not changed my mind one bit about that, you know, because that's just what happened with goal scorers. Sometimes you're in a hot streak, sometimes you're in a cold streak. As long as you get to the chances, as long as you create the XG at the end of those XG, that's funny. He has that. He, he's had that intrinsic value to Celtic. So I guess what the issue is, or I guess the, the question for me today is more, okay, can you replace Gigi? One, can you replace Gigi's output, what he gives for the same amount of money? And I think for, for three and a half million, for example, you absolutely could if you're smart and if you shop smart. And I also think there's obviously a point here with Gigi is not 100% happy being at the club. And in terms of, and that doesn't mean, you know, in terms of his position, I think he wants to start and he wants to play more. And maybe that comes into his age as well and saying, well, you know, um, maybe he realizes that he's never going to be first choice, the clear first choice of the Ange Postacoglu, you know, for whatever reason, how he plays or not. And I think what this club has done, talked about so many times wrong in the past, in their past, is that they haven't accepted that when a player says, I'd rather go now, right? And then maybe take one, one half, you know, in Gigi's case, maybe a million less than you think and say, look, and I can't think Ange is really good at it. He's, he's, you know, if you don't want to be here, we'll find a way out for you. And if that's getting a million less for Gigi anyway, yeah, you still made a profit. Still get some money. If that's reinvested wisely, which is supposedly what the whole, you know, backroom transfer recruit process is building up to that you've done all these appointments and everything that if you are handed 3.5 million with you know two weeks to go of the transfer window you are pretty confident that a you'll land a deal and two that it'll be a better investment both in terms of the return on the pitch straight away but also if you go and get somebody who's 23 24 you have a, a resale value that would be higher than ge if you're on so uh, I can't even remember your question now because uh, it is in the near past, uh, Graham. But I, for me, overall, I think it makes sense. So, I mean, we there's a kind of um, reluctance among some Celtic fans about the, the the amount in this deal, and there seems to be some kind of accusations. I've seen people blaming Ange about the low the low transfer Ange's fees. first L. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I think I actually saw that comment today. And Celtic, this is sixteen days into the transfer window, and well, Jackie Marcus has probably made it clear that he wants to leave, and Celtic have said they're happy to let him go. His agent has had sixteen days to get some action going, and no one's coming in for him. The fact that the English clubs know about players like Ben Doak, they know about some non-reserve players. They obviously know the type of player that Giacomacchus is. The value of Giacomacchus is what people are willing to pay for him and no one in the UK, no one in Europe apart from maybe Sampdoria are willing to pay it for him. I am always one to blame the club. I love blaming the club. We've been doing it for years. It's been our favourite thing during the Neil Lennon. It's a really nice hobby to have. Yeah, yeah. In this case, can you see any blame to be put on the club? Is it a case of... There's just no customers lining up for Giacomacchus, or is it a case that Don Mackay put a low clause in Giacomacchus's contract? <laughs> That's probably it. Um, 
No, I, I can't really see how, how you how you can blame the club in this sense. It's not like they're turning down other offers. It's not like I don't think they're jumping on the first one either. You know, it's it's not like they're panic selling him in any way. Uh, I think I, I think I think it probably helps if, if in one way it's Ange doesn't negotiate the, the fees or anything like that. With <laughs> in another way, he, maybe there's kind of just quite clear ethos that if you don't want to be here, you know, we're going to let you go. And, and I think there's before there's been almost a sense of, especially in the Lowell and going into the Desmond as well, that kind of brinkmanship of see, you know, the art of the deal. You know, let's get, you know, and this, this is a genuine thing with Peter Lowell's done this so many times. So the deal's almost there and he goes, <laughs> two million more. And you kind of go, who's, you know, I think in the long run, that's just an ego thing, right? So I think this seems like, you know, good business sense. Is it the absolutely best deal you could get for Virginia? Yeah, we probably can squeeze something out, but that comes from the cost of something else. It comes to the cost of, a player's not happy being there. And it comes to the cost of having coming money and not just money coming in, but a spot in the squad opening up. Because if you're going and trying to buy another striker in now and you have Gigi and Kyogo over there and you're playing one of them, you know, it's, it's a bit of a tougher sell. But if you have a, a spot in this in the squad open and you have the money and you're supposed to have this recruitment process, do the deal. Right. And I think does Ange's kind of mindset of if you don't want to be here, go help that alone, maybe? And, and good. Good if it does, because that to honest, that, that's the way the club needs to be run. That's the way they, they, they do have to be ruthless. And it, it, I think that the speed in this, when the opportunity comes, is is better than trying to hold on for maybe one or two million more. It's, it's not pittance for, for Celtic one or two million more, but three and a half million and a good you know, attractive space in, in, in the squad of Celtic, a team that highly likely will be in the Champions League group stages this summer. That's pretty good cards on the hand if you if you want to go out and buy a player as well. And anyway, see, because I thought I put this out on Twitter earlier. I thought, well, are you, are you really going to sell Gigi now when you haven't got anybody in? And I thought about it, but it's like actually, it's probably the kind of calculated risk you do need to make sometimes. So you have an offer. He wants to go. You get the money and see if you don't want get the player you exactly want in the next couple of weeks. Okay, you got Kyogo, but you also got Dais Maeda and you got Lee Alvada. Maeda is a much closer match for Kyogo if you want to talk about a starting striker. And Abada can play there as well. And the, the two main games you have, you have two main games left really, and that's the two derbies. Who's going to decide the league? Okay, you got the cups and your trebles, but overall, that's the, the, the risk you take in terms of that. So, from every side of it, I think it's it's a smart move by the club, and it's it's the kind of move I wish to had done before as well. And I, I think overall, I think that's a positive sign if this happens. See, I think a lot of the the narrative will be, and I've said it myself today, that I imagine they've got someone lined up. But then when you think of Angie's comments about if, if a player doesn't want to be here, he'll go, that c- could then say to me that maybe they don't have someone lined up and Gigi wants to go and Angie's just going to let him go. Do you think, do you, 
this is something that could clearly come back and bite Celtic if they don't have someone coming in the next two weeks, especially if Kyogre gets an injury. It could. But the other side of that is, do you go out and quote-unquote panic somebody? Okay, you can you is there a perfect six-month loan out there? I mean, great if there was. The problem isn't because those things really exist. But if you say, look, we can't get the striker one for three and a half million right now. Let's wait to the summer and spend that three and a half million the way we want to do it with the options you have in Maeda and Abada. I, To me, if that was my decision, I, yeah, it's a little bit of a risk, but I, I would take it. Basically because of the games, the domestic situation you have left. And even if Seikyogo got, you know, God forbid, a three, four month injury right now, would I be happy with Gigi starting every game? No, I wouldn't. Because that comes back to the, the kind of player I think he is and, you know, what he could do for the team throughout that period, especially in the Rangers games. So I, even if Seikyogo got injured three, four months, I'm not sure Gigi starts every game, you know. I think there might be games where Mayeda starts and so on. So, so even at that point, you would have that. So no, I, I think you weigh all that up and you, you take the risk and it's a risk I would take it. I'd rather wait to the summer to spend them three and a half million money in the best possible way, way rather than not getting the wrong player in the door right now. So if Gigi goes, he has left us with uh, some important goals over the last 18 months. He's got as a profit and he has routinely showed us his abs. And yes. I think we've, we've all enjoyed that. So best of luck to him if he does move on. But another player that we were looking at at some point, um, his value has now shot up to 10 million euros and he doesn't want to leave his club because they're still in Europe. And that is... Tunisian midfielder Ayesa Laidouni. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember how we pronounced it last time, but that's how I'm going with it this time. He says he feels good at his club and has a great relationship with his teammates and we're as close as brothers and he wants to continue on to the round of 16 of the Europa League. Is that... <laughs> I mean, that's not going to be something that stops us signing players, not being able to offer football after Christmas. That's just... That's, that's not something that... He's not made that decision based on the fact that he gets to play in the round of 16 with Ferris Barras for Europa League, has yeah, well, I, I think if the right offer came up, he would go. But he also looks at that and go, I've had a great World Cup, I'm still in the Europa League. It's probably a sense of, you know, we've got some unfinished business there as well. His stock, his options are probably going to be better in the summer or at least his agents will have three, four months to, to get that better deal as well. So, uh, I mean... Yeah, it's the kind of player that, you know, because he had a really good World Cup, is probably out of Celtic's reach already. So I guess that comes back to the discussion that that's the kind of player you, you try to pick up, you know, before the hit or so. It's actually before they go to French Wars. Yes, and before they have a good World If they can get 10 million for someone having a good World Cup, why can't we get 10 million for Juranovic? Hey, that's, that's... But, I mean, Juranovic's discussion is... It's, which goes for say seven million now, you have the same exact same reaction on on Celtic Twitter, I think, because again, I think a lot of the why my you know, it's no surprise to anybody listening to this, but my 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 views on Uranovich and how good he is and how he fits into the system is probably diametrically opposite to what I think about Gigi. 
but I can also see, you know, everything I said about Gigi in terms of his transfer fee, what you can expect. A large part applies to to Juranovic as well. This is somebody who was did play for Croatia in the European Championship this summer. He went to Celtic for Liga Warsaw, who's who's still in Europe as well. And he goes like two and a half million. So add 18 months, but also add, you know, really good World Cup. He established himself as Croatia's number one. You know, he's he's had some good um European run, although a lot of Celtic fans will tell you about the Champions League run, uh, which I don't really agree with either. But to then sell somebody like that for say eight million pounds, a twenty-eight-year-old right back who plays in Scotland. Let's not forget. And what quadruple maybe you're outplaying on that? Still really, really good business. Mm. Like if you've you got seven, eight million for it, it's just doesn't you go so well, is it it's a Champions League semi-final, uh, Champions League World Cup semi-finalist and so on. But yeah, it's it's not it, and yeah, it's and that's why people probably pay eight million for, for a twenty eight year old right back, as we said, don't get many right back that goes over twelve, fifteen million, especially at that age. So yeah, yeah I mean, that, 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 it would be a good. Deal. It's one thing um, that's what I was uh, alluding to earlier with the, the conspiracy theory with Don McKay. Like the, I saw on Twitter that someone saying that there was a seven million pound clause put into Yuran Fitch's contract. And okay, let's let's have that thought experiment. So even if there was, and yeah, it's only Monza that's after him. I mean, if there was a seven million pound clause, then that wouldn't stop other big clubs coming in for him as well. So the fact that it's only Monza is yeah. does that not kind of show it's obviously not a clause there. Yeah, I, I, mean, we were, I think we're kind of trampling on the, the transfer committee's feet here because we're going to have, I think, that discussion as well because you know that was kind of raised in terms of. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I wasn't invited to uh, that transfer. No, I mean, you're, you're on the last one though, so um, I'm not invited back to this one. Okay. But. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's, again, it's, the thing with Makaya and stuff like that is that I, I think if that was a thing, probably be in the papers already, or maybe it will come out if Jerome goes. But I also think, see, see, if you had to put a clause, hypothetical clause of seven million to your Andrew's contract, when you got him at a Croatian internationals at two million, and you were desperate for a right back because the only right back you had at that time with a couple of weeks left or window was. Anthony Ralston, you know, 2021 Anthony Ralston. So if you had to put that close in to get your Irish at that price where you got him, it's actually not a bad deal. I don't think too yeah. many people expected that or no. And as I say, as I said, if 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 it wasn't a seven, eight million pound clause in there, I don't think there is, but if there was, bigger clubs than Monza would be falling over themselves to activate that, would they would they not? So. I mean, that's the, the thing about it is I could believe it if it was like if there was five clubs after him, Atletico Madrid, Leverkusen, whatever, Monza, and they were all bidding seven million. Then I maybe think, okay, maybe there's a clause. But one club coming in seven million, no, that's just min howling as far as I'm concerned. But let's move on, Christopher Julian to Christopher Julian. He's not having a great time at Montpellier. Uh, uh-huh. They're they're on the verge of relegation, and he has been described uh, by the French media as a finger pointing player. Hmm. So, like Peter Grant, for example, just points at things that should happen. So, Christopher Julian peaked at Celtic pre, pre post, I would say, pre upright. I mean, 
I just realized I had absolutely no idea how he was getting out of Mud Pillier. So thank you for that update. Yeah, uh, just quick hits. We're in, the, we're in the quick hits section. <laughs> um, you're going to get quick hits with me. I mean, looking back, I mean, Julian was, uh, you know, I, I think so decent enough centre back, but he had the, you know, he was never going to fit into this Ash Plus team, for example. And I'm not going to be a very on brand here, but my word, did he benefit from playing beside an extremely fast centre back for the last couple of years as well? I'm just putting that out there. I don't know if you remember his name, Stephen Welsh, but you know that's <laughs> that, that's what happened. So next quick hit. So um, okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm a cultured European, continental European. Yes. Simon Vlodacek. Perfect. Vlodacek. Okay. Yeah. You've, you've had a chance, you've looked at a little bit about him, you've said, you, in quote-unquote, he is a new Robert Lewandowski, I believe. This is, this is my joke I did on the weekend update on Friday, which yeah. I'm sure you, you've listened to. But I yeah. did listen to it, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's been linked with a £4 million move. He has uh, been quoted today as saying, quote, there are times in every footballer's life when you know and understand a change is inevitable mm-hmm. and you need a new beginning. And it seems that will happen this month. £4 million, we would you would you be from what you've seen would you be fine with Celtic essentially swapping GG for this a uh, young twenty year old from uh, Poland? No, okay, I'm not going to say his name again. So, no, I, it, Pat, Patrick Klamala, Mark II, you can call him because that's what yeah. Celtic's mm-hmm. going to do. I I haven't seen enough from to be honest to to say anything like that. The, the very little I've said, I think. I think Again, he, he, he's not somebody who's going to go in and challenge Kyogo realistically right now. He's probably a slight different, you know, he's, he's, he's a lot taller than, than Kyogo. He's, he's a little bit more of a, a GG build. Probably don't have the abs, but he's got the height and, and so on. And he's, and yeah, he's, he's a little, I've seen him, decent pace, decent technique for such a big guy. Um, but that's, Somebody who, you know, I think would be quite delighted to come and get DG's minutes at Celtic. Um, but I don't think he would be someone like like Show who who would come in and probably, you know, make a bit more of a claim to to actually start ahead of Kyogo. I don't think this guy would be that at, at this point. But yeah, if if you're looking at having him as a number two, they're for say eighteen months behind Kyogo and then hopefully in a, in eighteen months' time he can he can step on being Number one, it's an opportunity, but to see if he's the guy and to say that way in the sort of certainty, I would have to watch him a lot more. Are you surprised that the the, the kind of stuff coming out coming out about show is that he didn't feel wanted enough from Celtic? We know that I mean this could all be paper talk, but we know that Ange has uh, consistently been described as someone who's charmed players when he's been on the phone to them, uh, made them feel as if they were really wanted. Is it a case of Celtic would not be would not have been able to offer first team football to Joe, given that Kyogo's still there. Is that a case of you would need to fight for your your place in the team? I think Ange's charm is very specific. In a case, it'll probably lay down exactly what he thinks. And, and yeah, I don't, I don't think he's a flirt. In, in no, that way. no. So, what no, do you I think, think his charm line would be? I think he would just go. Uh, that would win me it. over. Yeah. Um, maybe cough a bit. Um, no, I, I think, you know, 
I think that's ancient talk, really. I mean, that could be more, that sounds to me more like it's, you know, the money involved rather than anything else, which, you know, it's, that wouldn't surprise me in terms of uh, the Celtic side of it. But yeah, it's, 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 it's obviously, I think you have somebody who's quite active talking about his transfers, his agents and so on. I think they're just looking for the best deal so far. And I think, again, it looks like maybe they're going to wait until the summer to do that. So it becomes a lot of speculation. It would, I think it would have been it would have been a good one to go in for Celtic and, and do the signing because I think, again, he gives you something a little bit different to Kyogo, but he's got a lot more of the same elements of Kyogo's play than, than Chija had. And I mean, that's a decent sum for money for that kind of striker as well. So I, I think it would have been a good signing to make, but there you go. You, you move on to the next one if, if it's not going to happen. And that's what I've talked about before as well. Like, see if True was earmarked for that 3.5 million and it's not happening. And if it's not a you know a second one lined up that you're hundred percent as you know focused on or keen on as you were with you, just wait to the summer. Take your time and use that three and a half million more wisely in the summer. To me, it would have been very Celtic. Um, and again, getting back to my hobby of criticizing the club, it would have been very Celtic for them to have been holding off until they get the GG money, and that maybe have scared the show parties away. That that is a pretty realistic option of what I'll turn to what might have happened as well, yes. So let's go on to talking about the semi-final from the weekend. Uh, If you remember much from your drunken haze in the stands. No, uh, but I watched it again. You you watched it back? Okay, that's that's good. I mean, that's professional. Professional, as I would like to say. We... Had an XG of 1.94 against a 1.06 from Command. I'm glad you've read my notes this time. I've got them right in front of me. I've always yeah. read them. I've always got them right in front of me. Okay. Second lowest XG for the domestic game outside of Rangers. Mm-hmm. And the second highest on penalty XG against domestic teams outside of Rangers. That doesn't sound great. But I mean, it was a cup semi-final and it's a bit kind of chaotic, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you just slightly misread my notes because it was the second highest outside the ranges. So you had a lower XG against St. Johnston away and a, a higher XG against, against Hearts away. But what you did have was the second, was the lowest non-penalty XG differential outside the ranges. In the that's, what, that's what I said. Yeah, okay. I said. <laughs> okay. So, so overall, yeah, I mean, in terms of just chance creation, and chance conceding in the league. This is, you know, both of them among, I guess, the worst if you take away the games against Rangers. So, you know, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody who, who saw the game drunkenly or not, because Celtic didn't create loads. I mean, they'd create a couple of really nice goals that was just chucked off offside. It was obviously not, in, you know, inside us, but and Kilmarnock didn't really create much other than their set pieces really but you know they, they were pretty dangerous and you look at you know Kelly getting about six shots in the kind of danger zone as we call it you know the whiff of the six yard box up to the 18 yard line even in danger danger zone you know the penalty spot whereas Celtic had that, that was a B side of danger zone yeah danger. Um, Celtic's technically got six ish in that zone but you know Kelly's positions the way they had him is maybe even better. So, yeah, it, it was pretty even in terms of the chance one. But again, I didn't feel that Kelly had much offensively. It was more about the defensive work. And obviously, 
Celtic's goal, first goal comes from a set piece, the second goal comes right at the end. So those two goals makes up almost half of, uh, almost, I think it is uh, almost just short of half of, of the XG as well from Celtic, came from that one set piece, come from that very, very late winner. So again, I mean, we talked about this a lot, Graham, last time, what happened, you know, in terms of how did Kilmarnock's set up restrict Celtic? And I think a lot of the things they did last time applies again, so maybe you don't have to go over it there. I think you, you definitely add the caveat of the weather and the pitch, which were great. But I kind of want to have, again, a look at what Kilmarnock did here again, because I do think there is a segue, and it's not just a segue because Gal specifically asked us to talk about Samirin, but an actual segue to what Samirin might do on Wednesday that they did really well in the only domestic game that Celtic have lost this season, which was against Samirin. But I think in my half-drunken haze, um, high up um, in the south tier, what I... Drunk and high? <laughs> And there was a lot of smoke as well. And my, talking about that, see, I thought the Celtic, uh, the you know, the toilets in Celtic Park were bad for um, smoke and other substances. The toilets in Hampton, you you could, it was like a 1950s, you know, advertising meeting in New York. You could not, you had to basically have an ice axe to get through that smoke in there, which is, you know, it just took me back to my youth when nice you were allowed to do this. Yeah. Um, no complaint. Um, so, so essentially, obviously sitting so high up and being in games in, in general, you, you do get a slight better view of the whole block in, in terms of, you know, it's only so much you can get on the video, especially if you're trying to look at the whole team in, uh, at once, but what you really notice for that, and you, you can kind of notice a little bit on the video from last time as well, is that Kelly's kind of been excused or accused of sitting in, sitting deep and frustrating Celtic. And I think that's, that's a truthful modification. You know, but there's some, it's not entirely true, I think, because I've kind of sent you a couple of screenshots on here. It's like the main thing is that their defensive line in that block. It's probably a lot of times, especially in the first phase of play, when Celtic gets into their half, it's higher up, right? So I think this is not exact science, but I reckon most teams will have their centre backs around the end, you know, the edge of the deep mm-hmm. around there. Whereas what Kelly did, it's not a lot higher up, but they're probably about four or five yards, maybe even ten sometimes higher mm-hmm. up. And what they also also talked about having that player McGregor. So you kind of compress, you know, so, so imagine you have a player, McGregor comes into the half around the center circle. That's almost your first line of press, maybe one striker above that. But what you have is this thing where you, you essentially compress that space. So you give Celtic less kind of space to work. So if you move your line higher up, Obviously, you don't have that much. Okay, you sit deeper, you're closer to your goal, but you have so it's got less space to kind of arrive in those kind of dangerous areas. And but it's not so high that you risk all these long balls over. Like so, because if, if that line was ten yards higher up, 
you know, Celtic's pace and the players, the pace of their attackers and the skill of the midfielders to be able to put that ball over the defence. But it's kind of that exact line where you have to be very precise ball on a very good run to kind of get the ball over. But it was also high enough to kind of compact that space. So especially, you know, you know Celtic's number eight, and this is a good thing to look at if you're in the stadium, at least one of them, when Celtic builds up from their own half, goes almost all the way up beside Kyogo, sometimes both of them. And that, okay, so what you, they do, they kind of try and pin the defence a bit back, but it's also a nice way of then dropping back into that space. So you brought your defenders with you all the way down, and then you come back up again. And then, for example, if you're left-hand side, if you're at Tati, Greg Taylor's coming in, he's making some run, Jota's coming in, might be Matt O'Reilly's coming over. So you kind of get these rotations, as we call it, that dynamic. But first of all, it's just less space for that Celtic Nobody to drop into. And I think it just overall made it more difficult for Celtic to set up those half space runs and those passes that are so dangerous. So, so usually Celtic are very good at building up quickly so that they have, they kind of have that space between the opponent's midfield line and defensive line where they can kind of make those runs from and execute them from. And they just, they weren't able to do that to the same degree, both in this game and also in the last game. So I think overall, Kelly's setup has been really effective. You know, we talked about, you know, 0.08 XG in the first 44 minutes last time. They only let in less than one XG outside two goals, which was a set piece and that really, really late equalizer. So th- this is working for Kelly. Even with the caveats of the weather, we say, you know, so, so we need to, we need to have a serious talk about this, Graham, I think, mm. in terms of, Okay, why is this happening and what can Celtic do? And part of it, I again I have to give credit to Gilmartri and, you know, Carl from Derek McGinnis. It's a, it's a smart way of setting up. It's just, it's, you know, it's, if you want to do this against Celtic and you don't have the resources, this isn't the worst kind of thing because I've tried to illustrate it again with you kind of showing that half space pace becomes less, less space, less dangerous space to do fancy stuff from, you know, to put an analysis term. So, so what, what kind of, you know, what kind of happens? And that doesn't say, you know, I'll, I'll stop talking soon, Grandpa. I think what you saw on Saturday was there, there was lots of, you know, nice interplays from Celtic and combinations. You know, Jota was there, uh, Juranovic, you know, it was burned by Maeda had a couple, you know, Moy and, and, and Adhati had some nice short passes in the middle as well, but... I think those kind of rotations to the nice interplay was in less dangerous areas, right? They were either very re- wide, they were a bit deeper, they were in very crowded areas. And Killy's block was kind of, you, they weren't able to do that kind of nice interplay in the more dangerous areas. And the other kind of side of that is that they let Celtic center back move up a lot more as well. And I think overall you can do that with Celtic center backs because they're not going to be so effective. So I think all that kind of, you know, I've showed, sent you screenshots in terms of how, you know, maybe there weren't too many runs in that space. You know, Celtic, uh, Kelly again did that really well, where they used that free center back to move up it and kind of give less time. But overall, Kamarna compresses the space and makes it more difficult for Celtic to do what they're good at in the dangerous areas. So they're left doing it in, in less dangerous areas, really. I guess if you if you have that tactic of having the line so high up and then you man mark Callum McGregor, 
then you're basically saying to the opposition, use CCV and Starfell or, or or whatever to try and lob in behind us. And you know as a defence that they're probably not going to have the intricate skill to be able to pick out a, a Kyogo run as well as someone like McGregor would do. So you're kind of taking a bit, you're taking a small gamble, but you're not making that much of a gamble, if you know what I mean. And No, no, you're absolutely right. Kelly tried to do this in, in the home game. They were like a lot more extreme man marking. I just think they sat too deep in that game. Ross County tried to do it as well. But I, I think they found... And if you remember like the home game against Kelly, you didn't really see that. But in this game, whether it was on purpose or not, Starfield ended up being on a post for so long. And I don't think, again, it's not the most stupid thing to do, right? If you sacrifice leaving Celtic centre-backs coming up to 25, 30 yards... And if you crowd out the area and you keep a man on everybody else, and then when they do that, obviously they fall a little bit further back as well. What is Carl Starfleet going to do from 25, 30 yards? You know, because you need to be, as I said, very, you have less space to work on. You have to be very, very precise in your passing and your movement and when to do it. And for CCV and Carl Starfleet strengths, they just don't have that. So it's a, again, it's a gamble you have to take. It's probably a gamble that works quite well. It's, it's so also that. like I, I don't think there'd be many players in that, that Celtic no. team where you would give them give them the ball in that Starfield position and they'd be able to run a, a packed eighteen yard box and make something happen because you'd need to be like passing through the eye of a needle to make something happen. So I don't even think it's a massive criticism of of Carl Starfield that he didn't manage to thread the ball through it to someone when there's about fourteen or sixteen players in front of him. No, and you know this about Celtic centre-backs, right? It's it's not, it's, you can't criticise who they are in a way. You have to have them around them, you know, the runs, the, I guess, the passing decision-making, the, the quick passing, and the execution of that to be able to arrive in those dangerous areas a bit quicker and then having a bit more space and dragging Kilmarnock out of it. Because, yes, Kelly's setup was good, but it's these things that Celtic do that allows them to, you know, be effective at. And like the one thing I kind of you know, tried to send you some few screenshots is, you know, more the more the outcome of that is like where the wingers received the ball in these two games against Kelly compared to where they received the ball against Hibs and, and St Johnston. And well, Graham, you, you tell me what you see here. I've, what I've sent is like where Maeda received the ball against in those two games and where Abada and Forrest who started those two other games where they received the ball. So is it the was the first circle the Hibs one or is that on on the, the left, yes. But you've got two red circles, is that both games, Hibs and St Johnson, or is that maybe I should walk you through this. Uh no. <laughs> so I can't see the commandic ones. <laughs> um maybe I haven't labeled them good enough. That is my mistake. But essentially what you're seeing is that Against Hibson and Johnston, it's a couple of things. Maeda receives the ball slightly higher up a lot more. So at the edge of the penalty box, but you know, not in the penalty box, but on, on the side of it, but that high up. And he's receiving maybe 20, 15 balls just into when you start going into beside the penalty box. Whereas if you look at his receiving where he's received the balls against Kimarnock, there's hardly any, he hardly receives any balls 
on the wing about from about 20 yards in. Whereas compared to maybe the 20 yards before that, whereas in the Hibson St. Johnson, he receives pretty much just as many, even more in the higher areas than there. So it kind of, it just shows the effectiveness of Kelly's block because there's very little space to move on. And Celtic weren't able to actually get players beyond that defense. Even as you, as you remember, Kelly's block is higher up, but because they're compressing the space so much, it's more difficult to, to be able to find passes beyond it. And you see, I mean, it's maybe even more pronounced on the right hand side. Whereas, you know, in that kind of half space, that really dangerous half space, you know, between the six yard box, 18 yard box, you know, from 20 yards and then against Simpson St. Johnston, you've got 12, 13 passes just to the wingers in that. It's two kill games, just like two. And then you have two passes like right almost at the touchline, which is like the Joannis passes to Jota, uh, you know, on Saturday, which are good passes, but they're so like they're not in the most dangerous spaces. So Celtic was essentially just not able to get the ball to their wingers in the dangerous positions to manage against St. Johnston and Hibbs. And even with Killy's line being higher up, because they had the block was organized in such a way and it was so high, it was really d- difficult for Celtic to have the time. And then the execution when they actually tried to do that failed as well. Yeah, I've worked it out now, and uh, I'm going to say this is this is all down to your labelling because you've got okay. two pitches next to each other, and it says Maeda received passes versus Hibson St. Johnson. Yeah, it doesn't I, mention Kamarnock whatsoever. I, sh- I, should, I mean, it does underneath on yeah, the other ones. Yeah. So yeah, on the other ones, yeah, but yeah. yeah so I, 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 maybe just to try and explain this a little bit better, the I think it's pretty the, good explanation. Yeah, Hibson St. Johnson is is essentially a, a smorgasbord, a Scandinavian term for you. Oh, thanks. Passes all up and down that left flank, including in line with the six yard box. Whereas with Kamarnock, they're all clustered in the middle position between the eighteen yard box and the halfway line. So I actually saw this in the game myself, watching Jota. Jota got ball in that kind of really, really middle part between the 18-yard box and the halfway line, and it was almost like it could pass him and he was told to basically just make something happen. Yeah. And that's a really difficult thing to do when a defence is shuttling back so quickly. And he can be one-on-one, but then when he, when he gets by that one, there's another commander player to drop on, drop, drop deep and cover him as well. So... You've you've said why is this happening, and then you've got pictures of Starfield and CCB's passes. So I've got, I'm assuming why is it happening has something to do with Starfield and CCB. No, I, I guess that's maybe even. I said, well, it's it's a result of what Kamara trying to do and what they let Starfield and CCB do. Now, Starfield, Starfield is always more advanced in terms of that passing than than CCB is. I don't know if it's what just Celtic's left hand side bias or. If teams are more happy to let Starfield go up, I don't know, but you can see how many of them is in that half space though. And everything in terms of, you know, horizontally is between the six yard box and 18 yard box, those two passes. And, and that's where they let, um, that is a really dangerous area. But if you let your center back pass from there, you know, that's probably the play you do want to pass for there. But I think in terms of, I think you maybe even go a bit further up the field and you talk about, how how is Celtic not challenging that well set up Killebrook enough? And I think again, I could, you got Burnaby on on the left 
back. And I think even, even more this game, I think the thing why I'm not really panicking about Bernabeu yet is that I think he's, he is trying to do all the right things there. It's just his execution has been so poor the last couple of games in terms of just simple passes. And these are passes you, you know he can do. And I don't know if it's just, if that just happened to footballers sometimes, but it's some of them are just like not hard enough, just to kind of, even though I'm focused, it's just a bit, you know, it's, it's a real lack of execution, but not of the idea. I think we're burning about, and I think it's, that didn't help. You know, it's, it's the early 2000s, Christian. You're in the Sterling Union. There's a DDR machine. You think I'm going to do some DDR. You start doing the dancing. You're, you, you, you've got the, you've got the, the motivation, you've got the determination. You're just not quite landing the feet. Is that what you're saying about Bernabeu? He's just not quite I, landing it. I always landed on my feet on the sure. dance floor. Don't you worry about that. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, and it's not, if you look at, I've showed you his pass map, but I also showed you all where his missed passes are. And it's, it's kind of like, okay, missed passes around the box and you know, that kind of happens, but it's, there's so, it's like 10 of them in his own half. And it's like a modern, few modern ones, like just in that kind of phase, getting into the final third. And I think, you know, big Greg Taylor stand, and I, I think kind of Burnaway kind of understands what he's supposed to do and what, yeah, but it's just execution was so poor. So I, I'm a bit less worried about the execution because I know professional footballers at special Burnaway's level can do that. And it's, it can be worked on. So. It's, I think, but it has contributed over the last two, three games and against Rangers as well. But I do think you saw to send the fullback side that having Juranovic back was an improvement. And I think, you know, he had what well, I specifically pointed out. He's had, like, he has some excellent, really, really excellent runs with the ball and without the ball. You know, I had one here after almost 17 minutes, one again after 21 minutes where. He's just so fast, but he's, he's, and again, you see where he's around with the ball in the house spaces. He's challenging that back four. He's behind the midfield line and he just does that so well. His, his, his physique, his speed balls, his timing and his willingness to do that run. So it, it was great having him back on, on the right back. And that's, you know, I think that's the one thing we talked about, you know, walking to the game when we saw the lineup as well. It's almost like a shopping trick of breath when you saw Ramirez starting ahead of Johnston because I didn't expect that. Mm. So I thought, I thought this is, okay, he's on his way out. Johnston's, you know, we talked a lot about him. He's not there kind of yet, but obviously there's potential. And you'd think he's going to just be built up in that role now. But no, <laughs> like you ran just straight in. And uh, I tell Tesla on the other side about Ange that he, he's going to pick the best team or he thinks it's the best team as long as he has those players there as well. One of, one of the things you've got as a problem, and I'm going to pull you up on this because it was one thing that you said was a, not a fault of the system. At times you thought it was a plus. And that was against Livingston where Moy was moving over to the other side and kind of making link-ups with the, the number, number eight on the other side. The overloads, this, yeah. Yeah, overloads. This time you've got, as a criticism, Hitati and Moy were in similar positions with each other. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, why is it bad this time and why was it good the other time? <laughs> And I was looking at this at the game as well. And if it kind of, I don't know if it's just we're happening where it's been worked really well before in the Orlos is that you, you have at least, at least a staggered effort. You know, somebody's arriving at the same time and you're not running into each other's spaces, but you're giving each other options. And I think it probably brought a lot to do with the, the way Kelly set up that instead of this being 
a help. It was sometimes a hindrance. I think it was Moyen had had to making the same runs at the same time into the same space. And it wasn't kind of bringing somebody in and making, so you have one person more than a position for a few seconds. I don't know if it's just something off with the timing or the way the runs were done, but it, it was just something I saw in the past map. Whereas, and, and I, I, I took away the minutes that it wasn't on the pitch just to make sure, you know, Moy hadn't gone over to the other side and hadn't realized it, but they both have a lot more passes on the left-hand side than the right-hand side. You know, so and, and again, I wasn't watching the game. I was like, well, there was a lot of runs happening in those two as well. So there was something in, in the combination between them two. And I guess the way the killer set up that it was it was a bit more of a hindrance, or at least there wasn't maybe too much, there wasn't enough presence on the right-hand side because of it. And I mean, that, that's not just more going on. That's it's, it's a tactic moving over to, to kind of uh, on the right-hand side as well. It was, you know... It, is effective for that, but there was something in that that didn't really work, I think. And I think maybe because it felt so crowded anyway, but it's at least two times in the first half where Hatate, I think it's Hatate and Moy and then Kyogo and Moy who makes the exact same run at the exact same time and they end up just dragging defenders with them, whereas it would have been better if one of them had just, just kind of stayed. So, again, it's just like a weak curiosity that there's something in there that didn't quite work. Are you surprised Moy is continuing with uh, Matt O'Reilly subbed? Are you surprised that Moy is even ahead of Turnbull? I know uh, there's fans of Moy, and I, I kind of flip between game to game, depending how he plays. I judge him by his 90 minutes, basically. But I, I, I see some kind of fancy boys, the, the kind of uh, the hipsters talking yeah. about if we're... I think the hipsters would prefer Matt O'Reilly in there, but I think a second wave of hipsters would prefer Turnbull to be getting Moyes' minutes. Where, where, where do you stand in this? I, I think Celtic play better when Matt O'Reilly plays there. I, I think... I, 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 I think I just think, you know, overall, Matt O'Reilly is the benefit as well. But so he, why has that been two games without him? Yeah. And how, how how's it been going? I was gonna say, I don't, I don't think that's you know, more is such a, a an interesting player in, in that kind of way because it, I mean, it's evident how much technique he has on the ball and and how good he can be on the ball. Where my and, and I think you know, sadly, I don't think it's, it's a bad game from him at all. I mean, he has often what he does well is you know, in. Again, those kind of errors we talked about before. You know, he, he has a nice little give and go. You know, those kind of shorter passes, and he he has the experience. You know, to, to you know, he can read the situation as well. But again, <clears throat> with Moy, my frustrations is is a few different things. It's not so much on the ball, although I think. If you can take a look at any of his past maps and so on, that he's he can be overly safe. I think while he's got a lot of kudos for three games for, for trying a bit more adventurous passes, I don't think any of them have really come off properly when he hits, tries to hit them in the channels and, and so on, a bit longer ones. And it's like, it's not quite there. I think his defensive work, especially when you sit and, and look at him in, in the stadium as well, he's like, I was so surprised he wasn't pulled off because I thought 
whereas he was he was a bit more up to speed in the game in the in the first half. I think, and he had a couple of nice moments on the ball in the second half. I think from fifty five fifty minutes he was struggling physically, and I was like, you need to take him off. Like he's done his bit now. And I was surprised it wasn't a triple sub, but 69, I was at 70. I was like, well, it's a bit late to take Moy off because he's struggling. I did not expect Rio Hatati to come off at all. And I think Moy was really struggling off the ball in, in those kind of second half. And it's, you know, I've, I've sent you a couple of screenshots in terms of the work that even like Kyogo and Mayeda did over him. You know, that was even in the first half in terms of the intensity and the pressing it and, and the backwards running they bring, you know, they both, you know, this is, I think it was after 24 minutes, you know, when Killy wins the ball at 20 yards and Aaron Moy is about 15 yards, you know, in front of the killer players, Kyogo and, and Mayada is 10 yards behind the ball in four seconds. It's Kyogo has to run them up. And he just doesn't have the legs to do that. So I guess then you, you, you see it's a trade-off for that. Because a lot of players will have to do the, the running fire and way in terms of to then utilize his skill on the ball. Is his skill on the ball weighed up by that you, you can't you do have to carry him a little bit defensively and against usually against the lower block teams, maybe that it's good. But for me, it's just that but the things you do on the ball is usually quite safe and it's quite good and it, it time looks good. I don't know how effective it is. I think that is my, whereas I see a player in Matt O'Reilly who has a dynamism and an intensity and a technique that's it's just as good. But I think he's just, you know, it's, maybe he's just younger. I think maybe that's it. He's got that stamina. So, but I, I, I get what I'm seeing and what he brings to it. But I also don't think it's a complete coincidence why I'm not putting this on my all that. Because there's a lot of things we talk about the Killy. You know, setup has been good, fullback issues, and so on. It's a com- complete coincidence that against St. Marin once, against Kilmarnock twice, that Celtic have been struggling to break those kind of teams. Yeah, there have been good setups, all of them, but, you know, I don't know. It, it's, you know, I've said my things about Moyes, and I, I try to be as fair of them as, as I can, but I just don't see it. In terms of the overall, again, that's what Gigi did. There's absolute faces of play. There's certain games he can come in and be effective. But overall, as a start of a Celtic in terms of driving this team forward and even helping them win games, I just don't see it. Just so, I mean, if, if we're saying, well, if you're saying, I'm not going to say anything, if you're <laughs> saying that Matt O'Reilly should be starting in front of Moy. And we have this kind of these voices talking about how David Turnbull should be getting Moyes minutes because he's younger, he's Scottish, etc. And I, I've never, well, I've not been a fan of uh, David Turnbull at Celtic uh, until I found out that from a stats point of view, he was better than Hatate. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what do you see as the argument there? Would you be saying, so if you're saying Matt really starts, Moy and Turnbull on the bench. Is Turnbull your first sub, or do you think that Turnbull is someone we should just be moving on anyway? Yeah, this is where I am probably more struggling because I can see what David Turnbull can bring as well, just as I can see that Aaron Moy can bring. And I think, you know, I'm not going to dismiss the kind of outfield outside part of this because there was actually a really nice interview with, with Moy here when he's talking about how much he likes Glasgow. He's obviously 
you know, his family's here. He's, he's really enjoying playing football again after being in China. And it's, it's, you know, quote unquote, he's in a good spot. Whereas David Turnbull is hopefully, he's kind of struggling to get back to where he was. But in the type of player they are and the quality they have, I see that Aaron Moy's strengths are the same as kind of David Turnbull's strengths. And I see their weaknesses as the same. And I honestly, if on you know any given day of the season, would you say to me, oh, do you think Aaron Moy is a clear starter with David Turnbull? And I know I, I really don't. And I think, you know, that Aaron Moy is you know, in a better form than Turnbull is maybe in a better place. So right now, you can kind of make an argument of he's doing that. But who's, who's got the potential to be a Celtic starter in the next few years? Bigger potential is David Turnbull, who, from if you take a more, take a step back from just the run of games, who would you rather invest time in? Is it a, when, to me, those two players are quite similar quality wise, who would you invest time in? Like the 23 year old, you know, up and coming midfielder or the one who's, you know, 32 turning 33. To me, it would be the younger one from that point of view. And it comes back to this fact I, I wouldn't have signed Aaron Moy in, in, in the summer. I, I think that's the kind of signing you probably don't do if you have, if it's not the manager who kind of is the final word on it. If you have a structure where it's more of a director of football, that kind of thing that takes the overall view, I don't think you sign Aaron Moy. Mm. And I can kind of see why, if you're really ruthless about it, why would you give Aaron Moy's minutes? Why would you give David Turnbull's minutes, a 23 year old, to Aaron Moy? And you can make a case for a game to game basis, like right now, that form if you have both of them, but should you be there in the first place? And, and, and that's us. That's, I think that's the way we probably look at. I'm going to drag you into this, Graham. That's probably the way we look at how we would run a football club because we want it to be that cold and ruthless, really. And we kind of, and that's not saying don't ever sign a 30 year old or 31 year old. But if you have quite two summer players and they're taking minutes away from somebody like David Turnbull, who was a lot more highly rated this summer than he was, you know, uh, you know, as he is now probably. And you have, you know, you brought in other players like midfielders this summer as well. So, yeah, it is what it is. And it's probably not something we agree on. I agree with with a lot of fans and maybe not even Ange as well, obviously. But I think Ange is a manager and he's, he will do what's best for the team this season. And that's not to say he doesn't have a long-term view as well, but he's at least a manager who could be gone next month. Whereas... How do you hear first? Yeah, probably not. But I mean, the the manager position is again. It, it comes back to how we want to structure the club, right? I, I think, yeah. Uh, one thing I would say is that Turnbull, with his head of hair, he does so. He does such hair crimes with his head of hair. He kind of openly mocks Aaron Moy and his lack of hair yes. by doing such bad things with his head of hair. If, if that makes sense, yeah. It's a crime against hair. Yeah. Before Sorry. before we finish on Kamal, like your last image is essentially Callum McGregor's uh, map of receiving passes, and you've got a big circle in the middle of the park where he's basically not receiving any passes. Uh, does this just tell us that he's been like forced out of the middle of the park? The engine room is it is it is it making him less effective, not being able to receive the ball in there as much? I think it's a consequence of it. And I've had a look at other games as well. It's not like he just receives passes in the centre circle. But I think it is, you know, we get a lot of questions on this as well. And it's something we talked about is that 
if you were to set up against Celtic, I think you would put a man on Kyle McGregor. You know, give him less space, but also put a man in the middle of the pitch and, and follow him. And then force McGregor to come. As you see here, he has to drop down on the left. He does receive a lot of balls more towards the final third of it. And I think that's, you can see a lot of those balls comes from higher up in the pitch, right? So he's not receiving them. He's, he's kind of, it's the second wave of the attack and he's coming and he's doing it. But in terms of that build up, if Celtics fullbacks are not working 100% in terms of build up play, if the center backs are who they are, Taking up Cal McGregor as well, I think you have another reason why we talked about before why those Achilles block is has been quite effective, relatively quite effective, is that you allow Celtics best player less space and time to do what they're good at without overly risking, you know, balls behind or putting too much space between them. So I think there's a lot of factors involved in this, and I think this is one of them. And that, you know. Coming up to St. Mary on Wednesday, I think it's, it's, it's probably something they'll do as well. I, I'm listening to a podcast series at the moment on the Rack War, and uh, I was reminded about the the way that Saddam Hussein would have lookalikes for him. And I was just thinking maybe maybe what we do is we get Scott Robertson, yes. we get him to look like Callum McGregor, we play both of them on the pitch at the same time, and the opposition would not be able to tell who McGregor is. Why don't you shave everybody's head? Because I'm I'm struggling to to tell the difference between Moy and Maeda a lot of the times, especially or drinks. So. We we do a Romania, bleach everyone's hair and paint Fantastic. Maeda and Moy's head. <laughs> <laughs> Is that acceptable? Hey. Right. Sorry, you wanted to add something there? No, I'm I'm, I'm saying I'm in. I'm in. Okay, good, good. So, man, we we touched on them briefly. I know you've mentioned it already. We expect them to do much of the same as they did the last time. Is it going to work on the massive, beautiful pitch that is Celtic Park, or are we just going to blow them away? That's the question. I mean, Killy were able to do it in a large part of the game at Celtic Park and at Hampton. So I guess I'm Aaron... <clears throat> What they did last time it was kind of like, the, I guess, the early blueprint for this. You know, they had that 5-3-2. And while the two strikers weren't specifically on, I think it was actually Aaron Moyers in the sixth most of that game and McGregor and Turnbull were in the eighth. Didn't have players specifically on, on Aaron Moyers in the number six. Their midfield tree was really good in terms of staying compact Staying close, moving sideways. So, as we talked about earlier, Celtic weren't able to kind of have, you know, they were crowding them out. And so, I think, I think some would probably look at that and say, okay, we, we're going to just do the same, but we're also going to drop an extra guy on McCall McGregor because, you know, he's going to be in the sixth and you're going to stay tight on him. And then it'll be interesting to see if they manage to one, replicate what Kelly did quite well with the free centre-back, who was kind of, if you had a full-back in Burting and Celtics um, number eight in the same era, so say Burnaby and Hatati, they managed to push their like free centre-back up, or if the, the midfield was just so compact and so disciplined, they could move all three of them over into that area really quickly. And the other part is, as I said, you know, their defensive line, how high do they put it? And that's, I think, where the pitch comes in, because 
obviously you have a little bit less space uh, in Paisley. Uh, from my memory, I think St. Marin's line were quite deep, so it would be interesting to see if they go slightly, just five, ten yards higher and try to do kind of compress the space that Kamara did as well. And then it comes back to the, you know, who, who do you play? You know, how I think you already saw uh, a case of putting your animus in because of Johnston. I think that was probably an acknowledgement. Okay, your energy is still here. It's still, it's still bloody good. But, you know, I guess the Marduk especially didn't really work in the builder for a long time. Do you see a similar change in midfield? I think it would do anyway, because that's, as I said, point out, everyone played 90 minutes on that pitch, and that was a shift for him. So I, I expect Matt O'Reilly to come in anyway, just mm-hmm. in terms of rotationally. But can a midfield with Matt O'Reilly be a bit more effective in that. And as I said before, Moy, Turnbull, McGregor, away at pace, I think was a big part of that. I think Ralston was playing right back as well. So if you have a Uranovich, McGregor, O'Reilly, Hatati, you, you would expect Celtic to have, you know, be able to to break that that block better. And it still has to work really, really well for somebody to be able to replicate that. So yeah, but I think that's the thing, kind of tactical things to look out for. We give every single player a Callum McGregor face mask like he had when he broke his cheekbone. It's two different tactical setups to this pod, I think. It's your hair mask and it's my half spaces. But I think it worked beautifully. Yeah. yeah. So. Equal, you could see. And yeah. You could yeah. See, yeah. Uh, one thing I just wanted to briefly touch on, and it's, it's something that gives me the fear, and it's given me the fear all the way back to Walter Smith's last season in charge for Rangers, and that is playing a team too much. And I think we've seen it with the Kamarnik. They they were able to iterate on the last weekend's game. Mm. Uh, kind of tweak so, uh, tactics. Bill, the spoiler, he's going to, I think, I get a feeling he's going to have four more looks at us this season. Yeah. Uh, when it comes. I mean, I don't really care so much about the league because it's on him to break us down, to actually win the three points against us as opposed to just stop us winning. Do you ever worry that we're going to be playing them too many times? And would do because Celtic aren't going to change the way that we play, or we'll tweak it. Would it, do you ever worry that we'll be basically get to a stage where we're just going to come up against a brick wall against them? I'd, I'd rather not play them because they're, they're the second best team in the league. So you know, I'd, I'd rather have Aberdeen in the final. Uh, I'd rather not meet them because while it's sweeter to beat them, it's also yeah, well, less chance of beating the Aberdeen, for example, is that's just the case. And I think, and I think the other worry is that of the last five derbies, I think four of them have been a struggle in in various parts. Even when Celtic have you know won away against Ibrox, you know, semi final, the draw at home, and the last draw as well is like. And I think, you know, in, in the home game, you know, Celtic is so effective and, and, and they blow them away. And, and I think that's happens in February as well. And, and that can happen. Celtic can do that to you. But yeah, I've, I'd rather not. And I don't think I was, as I said, I don't like especially impressed by the way Bill set up. I think it's probably a mismatch of what he wants to do and the players he has. He seems a bit all over the place in terms of trying to find an identity and also like doing too much and changing so much uh, at one time. So I, 
and I, I think it's obviously there's, there's a really good first 20 25 minutes in iWorks as well that Celtic did the right thing so but so many times now like the Celtic fallen back into the kind of same traps they've had against Rangers and I think that is a lot to do with you know playing out from the back you know the you know, centre backs and the goalkeepers and then the full backs again there and then not being able to dominate the middle of the pitch because of that so yeah, I'd rather not play them to be honest for, for obvious reasons but I, because you know one because they're well, the second best team in the country but two because of the last five derbies I, you know there's been issues with all of them and they're re, starting to be reoccurring issues and on the day Celtic can blow them away, but on you know just as many other days, you'll see the same issues again, and it, it becomes a little bit more of a toss-up, which you don't really want. If you could guarantee a win in one of the four games, and one of the games obviously is theoretical at this stage, and but you would have to guarantee a loss in one of them, what wouldn't we take as a win and a loss? I would guarantee a win in the next league game, because I think that wins the league, and I would guarantee a loss in the last... Well, I was going to say the loss in the last game of the season because that uh, I expect in the league will be <laughs> would be uh, all but done. But um, maybe I shouldn't do that if something else happens. So <laughs> I, I would win the next league game overall. Well, that's that's as much you're getting for me. <laughs> Christian wants us to lose at Ibrooks. You held it here first. <laughs> Right, let's move on uh, away from Celtic and look at the wider world of football. It's, it's coming. It's coming, Zurich. This weekend, finally, the Bundesliga has been off for about oh, four months. How do you feel? The most exciting league in the world. I just looking at the league table just now, they've only played 15 games and it's a 34-game league. They've still got 19 games to play in the league, which is... But, but, even, even in... England, some teams have just got 18 as well, and it seems like they should be on the home stretch. But um, but I think it's into this picture as well. I mean, somebody else is excited about the Bundesliga. You know, my my boy's granddad had obviously been on a trip to Munich mm-hmm. uh, because their Christmas presents were just buying Munich stuff. I had that. And it was even like uh, Max got uh, the Bayern Munich top, and Henry got like some sort of college training jacket. Which is nice. never gonna wear. So, you're not the only one here. Got me the Bayern Munich top now. Um, although Max did pretend to be Manuel Neuer wearing that. So skiing uh, down a slope. Yes. So, but no, but but I mean, this because obviously we, we talk about you know my other team Liverpool here, but but you know I haven't teased you enough out to you in terms of the Bayern Munich link. You know, because because you are, and this is I guess the time to confess you are a Bayern Munich fan. Yeah, yeah, a member, you could say. Is it kind of like being? Is it? Is it like being a member of the Tory party? Or is it, is it? <laughs> no, 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 not at all, not at all. They but, are a better club. What I do like about them, to give you, to tell us, I like the fan base being so vocal about Qatar because I don't think you see that a lot of other big clubs. And they're quite supportive of the the Green Brigade, like the Ultras and Bayern are quite kind of. Quite similar to Celtics, I would say, and in, in similar kind of uh, social um, situations. But I know I like Bayern. I think I know everyone hates them because of the, the most successful team. But I mean, you hate us because you hate us. You know what I mean? Like, but it's, it's that case because I've always thought about that, and it's got Bayern Munich, oh, the bad guys. But it's that 
is there anything else you can level against Bayern Munich that you, at the same time you couldn't level against Celtic? Because Celtic win everything. It's probably intricacies that I don't know. I mean, like, for example, Franz Beckenbauer, he he had his trial force with 1860 Munich and I think they knocked him back and he went to Bayern. Like, like Bayern was his second choice, so it was not even as if they were stealing talent. They they, they had the, the Allianz Arena with uh, 1860 Munich at one point as well, but then gave them a pretty handsome payoff to to take over the stadium 100% and it kept 1860 above Water financially, so I don't know. There's probably stuff you can you can uh, say to them, and um, but I mean it's not something I'm aware of. It's they're they're a big team and they operate as far as I can see by spending the money they create, which is a lot better than a lot of teams do. And that, that takes me on to actually what I wanted to ask you with the Bundesliga. Sorry, trying to move away. No, no, no. It's, it's, because for more for the Bayern Munich was more like they seen as one of the bad guys in UEFA in terms of they have that position they they want to keep it. But as you say, I guess you can because the whole fair play thing was like, oh, Bayern Munich is in favor of this because they've come to a position where they create a lot of money, so they don't need new money to be coming in. But I mean, you're kind of winning me around here, Graham. I think they face a lot of pressure just because they're, they've not got the, the English money. And I think when you, when you look at their, their transfer record fees and stuff like that, it's nowhere near like what Chelsea have just spent, for example. You know, it's they don't have the same spending capabilities that the, the English teams do. And I think they're maybe a bit defensive in UEFA because of that. They're just trying to keep their place at the table. And I mean, you've, they haven't done it as, in such a kind of abhorrent way as Juventus have, for example, with their attempts at Super Leagues and stuff like that. So, yeah. but. That's uh, 16 days into the transfer window. I want you to tell me what you think the cumulative transfer fees spent in the winter window is from the Bundesliga teams. How much have they spent? I mean, when you posted that like that, I think it would be then quite low. But okay. So, uh, 30 million euros? 10 million euros. <laughs> Between all eighteen clubs of the Bundesliga, so I think I think the Bundesliga took COVID a lot more seriously. They, they realised that they had to tighten their belts. Uh, the, the shutdown of the stadiums lasted a lot longer here than than uh, in Britain. I mean, it was a th- I went to a game against Cologne uh, well after the the everything had opened up and they were only allowed a third of their stadium still at that point. So it was, it, they did lose a lot of money. So 10 million euros have spent in the 16 days of transfer window. They've received uh, cumul- cumulatively 30 million euros. And I think 12 and a half of that was Brentford buying Shada from That's Freiburg. Right. Yeah. Um, so bit of Schadenfreude there. Yeah. But, uh, but do, 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 I might have asked you this before. Do you think in terms of like the globalized hyper capitalism that football is now, is the Bundesliga as good as it gets in terms of at least having a sense of what we think football should be for, like belonging to a community, the voice of the fans, and actually the clubs are about something else than just winning? Do you think Bundesliga is, is what we can strive for, essentially? <laughs> I think so. I think it. I think it just needs. It needs a final step, and that final step for me is it needs Dortmund to get the fucking act together. Like it's. I, I mean, for years and years, Bayern have been accused of stealing Dortmund's best players, and they can't even afford to do that anymore. Like the best players from Dortmund are going to the the EPL. I think 
Bellingham. The, did you did you hear that uh, apparently Liverpool are offering Jude Bellingham's dad a coaching or scouting position or something to try and don't get me started on him <laughs> to try and get him to go to uh, Liverpool? So they can't even afford to do that anymore. So it's a case of Dortmund receiving this money and just getting their act together and competing. And if 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 Bayern and Dortmund were both competitive in the league with what you've just been speaking about, this idea about competition and about there being more than just winning, I think that would create a really beautiful package for a league. But, but there should be clubs in there who should, I mean, you tell me, but like Schalke, uh, a couple of the other ones who's got huge fan bases and should technically have the same TV money as Munich domestically. And like, why they're not doing better? Is, is it simply because it's more even, or I, I think a large part of a large part of where German or where Bayern makes money is all about sponsorships and stuff abroad. It's not about domestic because if the, the the tickets are so cheap, and that's why you can have a club like Schalke with a sixty thousand seat stadium, but they're not they're not charging so much for this. Yeah. this so they're not making the same equivalent money that an English team would make. So Bayern with their kind of um, Fingers in a lot of pots, obviously. Qatar Airlines been one of the problems. Making you've got a Polliner sponsorship, they've got a Mercedes sponsorship, so they've just got they've got so much more out with the ticket sales, and I think that's what other clubs just don't have when it comes to that. So, yeah, but that is it. Bundesliga starts back this weekend. Bayern top at the moment by uh, four points, five points, I think it is. They've only had one defeat, Oof. four draws. But the the problem is it's like Freiburg or second, and then it's Leipzig, uh, so there's not really there's not really a title chase. Dortmund, get your fucking act together. But also, we wanted to kind of touch. What you're saying is the Bundesliga need a strong Dortmund. Is that is that what you're saying? Exactly. We need yeah. the Sevco of Dortmund to get <laughs> strong. Uh, but Dorco. That doesn't work. Doesn't what I want to know from you is. What is happening in the EPL? Because you are a fan of the EPL for yes. Are Arsenal actually going to win the league? Um, yeah, I mean, it is Arsenal, but it's bloody look like that, doesn't it? And it's I, the thing that annoys me more, you know, as a Liverpool fan, is that Liverpool keep having these amazing seasons, points wise, but they just coincide with Manchester City's amazing seasons and in the season City is just off at, you know, Liverpool <laughs> is off at even more. But I, I think what we really need to focus on here, Graham, is that of the two best teams in the Premier League, you know, good case for two of the best teams in the world now, the two best players are Norwegian. And I think that's a fact we don't talk about enough. So you have the captain of the, of the, the team that looks going to win the league. It's Norwegian. You got, you know, the best out and out striker in the world. You know, it's it's Norwegian. And then I don't know if you looked in, you know, eighth place now. It's one point above one place above Liverpool. Yeah. It is, you know, you you have what is clearly the best centre back in the world is not really playing centre back that often. So I mean that's that's just that's just that's just the case. So what is what does Ayer play for Brentford? So he plays either there's, they change this so often. It's he, uh, oh, is it high? Um, <laughs> uh, Christopher is playing right centre back or right back. So he's right back against Bournemouth there, but he was uh, right centre back against West Ham in the cup there, not that So, which I think 
and Stephen Russell will back me up on this because uh, he always backs me up. Is that Stephen has a theory that you know sometimes it might actually be better for right-footed centre halves to play on the left-hand side because they automatically then this is called the Stephen Welsh syndrome. You don't actually automatically go out to the right-hand side that much. You actually pass through the middle a bit more. Actually, I think worked really well for Ayer. Um, uh, how, how did, how did Norway go on at the World Cup? They boycotted the World Cup. They took a moral uh, stand mm-hmm. and boycotted it. I mean, mm-hmm. did they have the old Copenhagen manager as the manager? So, the golden generation. But obviously, if luckily, only they'd come up against a new Lennon line, side, they might have gone for it. Well, they're up against the Steve Clark side for the European Championships. So, Oh, there we go. There we go. Let's just finish. So we've got a few minutes left. I just want to finish on the signing of uh, Modric at Chelsea. One positive from it that I, I, I sent you in WhatsApp is that Shakhtar are going to use $25 million of this money to help Ukrainian uh, soldiers and their families. So that's setting up a, a fund for them. So that is fantastic to see. Chelsea oil money, it's not even oil money anymore, former Chelsea oil money. Uh, going to good use. Uh, but one article that came up about this in the Telegraph is fear that Chelsea is no longer going to be able to use their pathways from the academy because they're going to try and spend their way out of this uh, problem or this crisis that they're having at the moment under Graham Potter. Graham Potter obviously brought in to be part of this kind of like... Uh, change of Chelsea, uh, the way that Arteta was at Arsenal. Arteta obviously getting a, a, a certain amount of time to put his ideas into action. Graham Potter seems to be getting money thrown at it. I don't know if it's his ideas, but they're, they're kind of throwing money at the problem. What do you make of the Chelsea situation? You've got about three minutes to tell me. I think they just got a mad owner. And I think it's the, 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 you know, you, <laughs> it's the kind of owner I think a lot of fans would like. He just likes to be the main guy, likes to be, you know, in charge of everything, every single role, just spends money that there's no tomorrow. But you also go like, it's just a situation that is, is mad. And Graham Potter is the least Chelsea-ish manager you, you can have within that as well, because he's all about, you know, he's, he's playing, you know, uh, a youth player uh, there over Mark Kuchelala. He signed for 60 million in, in, in the summer from his own club that he played in. And he's like, it's quite fun because you have this owner, Mad Dash owner, who's just, he should really just have Ancelotti as a manager. you got Graham Potter there as well. And I think it's a shame Modric is going there because I, I really like him and it's it's Chelsea. But I, I, he could be mad enough, this guy, Todd Bowley, that, you know, he was talking about maybe Chelsea should go into a multi-club structure in terms of buying another club somewhere else and then, you know, maybe having them, you know, as, as you know, Leipzig does, as a city group. And uh, I mean, what better club for them to buy um, than Rangers? I, I think I think that's what they should do. And then means Rangers can never be in a European qualification uh, competition again. And then can just send all their academy products because they'll work out great. So. I mean, when you think about it, Chelsea, if Glasgow. If you're going to get scanted, 25 no and goal difference in the Champions League would be as well, she's not going to anyway. That's my thoughts, exactly. Shout out to Alan Edgar with the use of the word scanted there. We reference the agenda. So that has been us for your second review of 2023. Christian, it's been an absolute pleasure, except for that time that you spoke about stats. 
I I love talking about stats with you, Graham. Uh, thank you very much. Um, transfer committee without yourself this week as well. So we're talking transfers there as well. So. Maybe something well, will happen by then. We'll, we'll be we'll be back again uh, next week talking about Greenock Morton's uh, defensive display. So yeah, something. Hopefully we will see some some new faces, some of the new Japanese faces, maybe some youth on the bench. That would be nice to see, and we can talk about that next week. I hope Aaron Moy starts. That's, that's what I hope. Well. And Gigi. So. Just, just to give the listeners some inside baseball, about five minutes ago, Claire told me I could wrap it up to stop Christian talking about the exceptionalism of Norway. So I, I, I let him go in for a, for a minute or so before mm-hmm. undermining him with the World Cup chat. I, I didn't say to you that I've been spending a lot of day watching uh, NFL draft videos of people getting the phone call, um, which just make me readily emotional. I don't know if I brought it up, but I know he's an NFL fan. I think so, I think so. I know why you brought it up. Midlife crisis. Yes, quite well. Maybe I'm waiting for that phone call. 49ers beat Keith's Seahawks into the next round of the playoffs. So there you go. I've been your host, Graham McKay, and we will catch you down the road.